Then check, check, are we on? Y'all hear me? I'm gonna move this because it's gonna distract me. Guys, what are we going through? Do we know? It's up on the floor, <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> All right, nice. Okay, thank you. The eight doctrines. Um, not just, there's not just eight. These are just like eight that we think that you guys need to know. Eight that we were like, you know what, we're gonna pick out these specifically to go through because we think they're important. Um, so today, well, actually, I'm going to start out saying I think it's important that we started with Scripture um, because if Scripture is not backed up with, like, the inherency and we don't know for a fact that God's Word came from His mouth, then none of this matters. Then, like, the rest of this just doesn't make sense or it doesn't go with it. So we started with Scripture. The next one, the triangle is God, the Trinity. The next one was creation and the image of God. The next one was spiritual warfare that Will taught on last week. And then today... Like the little tombstone, we are talking about sin, yes, because the wages of sin is death. Um, So the tombstone, because we need grace. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to talk about the doctrine of sin. God, thank you so much for who you are, and thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that in the opening of my mouth, your word would come out. God, that if anything on my piece of paper um, is not supposed to be spoken, it would not be. Um, but God, if there is something that you want spoken, would it be spoken through my lips? God, I pray that you would have your way in this room. You would settle our hearts, including mine, um, and our minds from distractions around us. Our hearts would be ready to receive the word. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you for your grace that abounds all the more daily. When our sin increases, your grace abounds, as Romans 6 talks about, or Romans 5 talks about. So thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your love. God, will we know that more as we leave this morning? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so I'm going to talk about three points today. The root of sin, the sign of sin, and the solution of sin. Is this on? I kind of feel like it just went off. Are we good? Is it on? Okay. The root of sin, the sign of sin, and the solution to sin. So we're going to start out with the root. We're going to, if you can throw up the Genesis passages Um, We have to, I think, in order to start with sin, um, you have to start with Genesis from the very beginning. Um, The the scripture (laughs) that is kind of tiny on the screen, but I hope you guys can read it. Um, Get your contacts out and your glasses. Okay, so we're going to start with Genesis 2, which is the commandment, and then we're going to go into how the serpent then deceives that and the fall happened and why we are still, like, experiencing the repercussions of the fall that happened all the way back in Genesis so uh, Genesis 2, 16 through 17 says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, shall surely, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, Sorry, I skipped a line. Hang on. <laughs> I'm having a problem reading this. Um, and the Lord God, where am I? <laughs> Okay, yes, commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. I think I copied and pasted that twice. I definitely did. And the Lord God, oh my gosh, I I did it again. Okay, (laughs) ignore my copy and paste struggles. Um, Okay, so what is it saying in those verses that we repeated multiple times? Maybe you guys needed to hear them multiple times, because I know I did. Um, it's saying the commandment is do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? The result is what? Death. Okay, so then, not many verses later, we see this. I'm going to read it from my piece of paper, so just in case I had problems. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord um, God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall surely not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall surely not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Okay, so what is going on here? The serpent says, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree? And if you look back into the original commandment that was copied on there multiple times, it does not say of any tree. It says of you can eat of any tree except for this one. So already Satan's twisting the, li- twisting the truth with a lie and saying, did God actually say you can't eat of any tree? And Eve caught it at the beginning and said, no, 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 I can eat of the tree except for this one. Yet then the serpent said, wait, 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 you will not surely die. If you actually eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will become wise like God. So what is this saying? God is withholding something good from you. (laughs) The ultimate premise is that God is not good and he is withholding something from you like the tree. And so therefore, like you don't, if you don't, he doesn't want you to be like him, right? Because then that threatens him. But no, that is a absolute lie from the enemy. Okay, so let's look at Satan's strategy for a second. I think it's important to understand this. If you look at the original question he asked, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree? What he's not targeting, and I think what we um, could get mixed up with, he's not targeting, is God actually real? So he's not saying, is God really real though? No, he said, did God actually say? So here's the strategy is not to to diminish the beliefs in who God is. He's not saying God God isn't real. He's actually acknowledging God is real, but he's withholding something. So that's the twist to it. Does that make sense? So he's saying, did God actually say this? Not targeting their beliefs, but what he's targeting is, is God good? Does God love you? And is he withholding something that is good from you? So if you go back to the original commandment, he asked them to not eat of any tree, of the no- or to, he can eat of any tree, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But what's the why behind that? It's interesting because if, if you look at that verse, it's not actually saying the why. He doesn't say because blank. So what we can fill in the blank is he's like, hey, trust me. I love you. And what I am telling you to not eat of is because it will harm you. Because you will surely die. And so, his tar- so Satan's target isn't that God's, be- it, like, is God real? The belief in God, his target is, does God really love you? Does the Father really love you to give you restrictions on something? Tim Keller says that the root of all sin is not trusting God's love for us. I'm going to say that one more time. The root of all sin is not trusting God's love for us. And what Satan is, is tempting Eve with is, does God really love you? And so there, but he's putting restrictions on you. Isn't that him withholding something that's good from you? And God doesn't imply why, but he says, hey, obey me, just trust my love. Just trust me. (laughs) I care about you. Just trust my love for you. If you were a kid, 
or when you were a kid, like me, I was told don't touch the stove, right, because it's hot, or don't run in the street because I might get hit by a car. And so these restrictions that my parents put on me weren't because they hated me or because they loved me and they didn't want me to get hurt. So me not running into the street is because, hey, you might get hit by a car. Like, I don't want you to die. Me not touching the stove, hey, you might get burned. It might hurt you. So, so don't do that. Like, I'm putting these things on you. Why? Because I love you. Because I love you and I want to see you thrive. And I want to see you grow, not get harmed by evil around. So Satan's target is, does God, does the Father really love you? Does the Father really love Eve? Does the Father really love, love um, Adam? Does the Father really love you? So the root of all sin is doubting that God, the Father, loves you. And if you spend just a day or up to however many days you live on earth studying this, I promise you every page bleeds of the Father's love for you. Every page bleeds of it. Just dive into it and know that, it, that he is a good father starting from the very beginning when he then clothes them with animal skins that then points to someone later that will clothe you with righteousness. So, he, so God killed an animal because they fell into sin. God killed an animal, clothed them with that so that it later points to in Matthew, Luke, Mark, Luke, and John him clothing you in the righteousness of the perfect lamb that was going to be slayed. So he is already telling you, hey, I love you. <laughs> I know you messed up. I know you're unfaithful, but my faithfulness is far more greater than your unfaithfulness. I will continue to surpass your sin with grace. So the root of sin is not trusting God's love. What are signs of it? Some of the signs of us not knowing that God is good and that God does not love us might not be the temptation of an, a physical apple or a physical fruit, but what about a different apple? And if you can't see me, I'm holding up a phone. <laughs> and I'm not saying this is from the enemy, but I'm saying he uses it sometimes to deceive us into thinking, hey, I'm not as good as this person because I'm looking at social media or images pop up that we're not supposed to see, and it's like, hey, 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 take this apple, take this apple, bite into this deception, here's this lie, maybe you're not as good as this person, maybe you're not, you don't, your stats aren't as good as this person, or maybe the temptation is the opposite, where you're actually like, man, I'm better than that person, man, I look prettier than that person, man, I, I am not, at least I'm not sinning as much as that person is, or at least I'm not posting that, <laughs> or at least I'm not doing that, so from self-righteousness to the opposite of comparison, of, or the opposite of that, when comparing you to another person that maybe you're wanting to be more like that, so coveting something that someone, that someone else has, we all have fallen short of the glory of God and being tempted by something, by someone being Satan, and by something, fill in the blank. I think we all can fill in multiple blanks of what has been deceiving us what has been the, the lie that we've bitten into and said, man, if I just had this, I'd be better. If I just had this, it'd be, it'd be all good. If I just had this, or if I just looked this good, or whatever it is, fill in the blank, whatever Satan is, is tempting you with. We talked about spiritual warfare. We are wrestling with a war that is out there. <laughs> we are wrestling with a spiritual battle 
that wants your soul. <laughs> and so how do we recognize it? We're get, we'll get to the solution in a second. But the first recognition is, do I know that the Father loves me? Do I know that the Father puts, like, puts good things in my path? Do I know that every gift comes from the Father? Do I know that he is good, that he loves me, and therefore I can walk and, and trust, I can trust him? Do I know that? Maybe it's something that you're trying to numb pain with. Maybe the, the lie that you're believing is that you aren't as good, or that God himself isn't good, or that God is like my earthly father, and maybe your earthly father isn't, as, isn't that um, image that you want to look at. Maybe the lie is, um, if I only had whatever it is, guys, we can fill in the blank. We can fill in the blank. And so signs of sin uh, is, are, are all of these things that we fall into daily. It says, we, it says where, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Paul David Tripp, we're reading through a book where kind of the series came out of, um, called the, um, or called Do You Believe? So Paul David Tripp says this in his section about sin. He says, our hearts are always ruled and our lives shaped by the love of something. I think I might have put that quote up there if you can throw it up. Um, our hearts are always ruled and our lives shaped by the love of something. So what is it saying? Is that we are always craving the love, like we, we, we want, we're created to be loved by something. We're created actually to be loved by God, but often we try and fill our vacuum with something else. If you were at the gathering, Pete Hatton talked about um, our hearts being like vacuums, like heart-shaped vacuums. And if we're not being filled up and rooted by the love of God, we will go find it in other places. So we will fill it with something else. So if you imagine like me pouring a, uh, or having a cup of water up here, if I start my morning pouring it and it's a full glass meaning I've had, I have the truth of God's word in me, right? Like I'm so filled with the love of God. My, my cup is full so that nothing else can fill it, right? But if I start my day with an empty cup, <laughs> then I'm going to go and seek affirmation from a person. So then they pour a little bit of water in there. Okay, and then that didn't satisfy me, so I'm going to go to another affirmation of a person to pour a little bit in there. So maybe I'm on the football field or the volleyball court or um, fill in the blank, and you're trying to seek affirmation of a coach or, what, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever it is. We, we are, like our hearts are something, are a heart-shaped vacuum that we long for like affirmation or to be loved by someone. But if we are not filled with the love of God, we will fill it with something else. So ultimately, the root is, do I know that the Father loves me? Can I start my day knowing that my identity is not in anything of what people say about me or what people think about me or in the way that I stand up and maybe fail or maybe succeed that day? It comes from the Lord. I've been accepted and stamped by his righteousness. I've been clothed by his blood, by his atonement for me so that I do not have to seek affirmation from anyone else. You throw the Romans 1 um, verse up there. It says, oh, sorry. It says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, him, or give thanks to him, because or they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools 
and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. So what is, what is it saying here? Idolatry. So it's exchanging glory that should be given to God for immortal, it's saying here, birds or animals or creeping things or man, whatever that is, exchanging something, like our uh, idols are now in something else versus our glory and our worship being in the Lord. But keep, keep going, listen with me. Therefore, in verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of the bodies among themselves. And listen to 25, listen to this. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Okay, but how often do I do that? Where I exchange the truth about God for a lie. What it's saying there is basically what Eve did. I exchanged the truth about God, meaning God is good, he's not withholding anything from me, for a lie, meaning God is withholding something from you. So I exchanged the truth about, about, I exchanged the truth about God for a lie and bite into that apple. And then it says after that, and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Guys, how often it, how, how easy and often, i prone to wander in this too, but how often is it, like, it's so easy sometimes for us to place our identity in a different person or um, place it in our stats or place it in where we are or where we live or what we're doing or what people say. And then how often it is to see a beautiful sunset and to say, gosh, that's beautiful, but forget the creator behind it. So my worship shouldn't be of the creature in front of me, but of the creator that's behind it. We talked about the image of God and how every single one of you were created in the image of God. So when we see a beautiful person, we can say, that was made by my creator. <laughs> that was made by my creator. When we see a beautiful sunset, that was made by my, by my creator. And our awe and our worship should be upon the creator and not the creature. But how often do we stand right here and just worship the, cre- the cre- creation he's made? and forget the creator behind it. And so our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to leave the God that we love, as come thou fount says. They did not honor him. They exchanged the truth about God. They exchanged his glory for something of this world. I can't remember who said this. I was asking Will, but I think it might be Mark Davis. That's what, that's what his answer was. But someone said this, and I've, I can't take credit for it. But because I don't have someone right now, I'll just take credit for it today. Um, but the phrase, the outward reality is evidence of an inward reality. I'm going to say that one more time because I think it's really good, and it came to mind when I was studying through this this week. The outward reality, okay, so what we're doing on the outside is evidence of an inward reality. So if I believe that God is good and God loves me, it will change the way that I go about my day. But if I start my day knowing God does not love me and I need to find affirmation from something else, it will, like, my actions will turn to trying to be filled with something else. The outward reality is evidence of an inward reality. So do you know the love of your Father? Can you start your day knowing my identity is rooted in that? As Eve fell into the temptation of not believing that, we still are are in this war, in this battle daily for this. Paul David Tripp continues saying, If you do not believe in the tragedy of sin, then you will think that humans have the power to fix it. So 
go and fix each other, right? <laughs> the solution, just go and fix each other. You know, just, just do your best, just try harder, just try harder, you're gonna get there. But what he's saying, but if there is such reality of sin, if there is a thing called sin in the hearts of everyone, then the only hope is divine intervention. So it is saying we cannot fix each other. We cannot go out and just try harder. <laughs> in fact, the only thing we can do is surrender because we need divine intervention. So trying harder is not the answer to, I just got to try harder today. I just got to do better today. I just got to do this. It's actually a form of surrender and saying, I actually can't do it. My heart is prone to wander. I can't do it. So today I surrender. Today I walk in, in the identity of that you have accepted me, you have loved me, and therefore I can walk about my day. I need a savior. I need a redeemer. I need someone to fill that vacuum that is in my heart. I need someone to take over. I need a solution. So how or what is the solution to sin? My third point. A couple years ago, I had a fever. It was like 103 to 105 for six days, y'all. Six days, I am sitting here freezing, four layers on. I took a, I took a hair dryer and literally was like pointing it at my face and my toes because I couldn't get warm. <laughs> like I was so sick that I was like, I need a doctor so badly. <laughs> like I need someone to fix me. But the most attractive thing that like the, mo the thing that sounded most attractive to me was a doctor that could fix me. <laughs> right? So when we know how sick and broken we are, the most attractive thing to us is a redeemer and is a savior. So when I know how sick and twisted my heart is, when I know the tragedy of sin, the only hope that I have is divine intervention of needing a redeemer and needing a savior. And by the grace of God, he sent one who came years ago to die for your sin, for my sin, for our hearts that are prone to wander, knowing that we would betray him, knowing that we would try and fill our vacuum, our hearts that are like vacuums with something else, knowing that we would place our identity and try in something else, but knowing that that cannot satisfy because he alone can satisfy because he created us. He created us to have this inner thing in us that is it, that worships something. And a lot of times we do it to celebrities, but a lot of times if you follow the track of a celebrity is they crash and burn because they cannot have that weight and that pressure that is on them, that we place on them. Because they were not created to. They were not created to be the center of our worship. God was. So watch any documentary of a celebrity, and you can see that most of them have hit a rock-bottom place of saying, I can't do this anymore. The pressure is too much. Even with, the, like, the fame and the money and all, Ecclesiastes talks about it, right? They crashed and burned finally, and we're like, I actually can't do it. The only hope we have is surrender. The only hope we have is to say, I can't do it, but I need someone who can. Will you throw up the um, Adam 1 and Adam 2 on the slide? Awesome. Okay, listen to this, guys. This is so stinking cool. Adam number 1. Adam from the Garden of Eden, okay? So in the Garden of Eden, he was given a commandment to obey or you will die, okay? Obey and live, okay? Adam number two, Jesus is actually compared to the better Adam, the greater Adam in the New Testament. So it's actually, it says that in um, Romans 5, talks about Jesus being the better Adam. So listen to this. Adam number two, in the garden of Gethsemane, 
Okay, so one's a Garden of Eden, one's a Garden of Gethsemane, both given commandments. This commandment was, obey me and die on a cross. Obey me and die on the cross. One, obey me and you will live. Two, obey me and you will die. Who followed the directions? (laughs) The one who was going to death, right? Jesus. Both in gardens, both given commandments, yet Adam could not fulfill that. So Jesus came to fulfill that and came to take over and say, you couldn't do it alone, so I came, that you will have life and life abundant. Adam did not know the love of the Father, and so therefore destruction came to all that followed. Jesus knew the love of the Father, and therefore salvation came to all who followed. I'm going to say that again. Adam and Eve did not know the love of the Father, and so therefore it brought destruction to all that followed. Jesus knew the love of his Father. He, came, he overcame temptations. Yes, he was tempted by the same things that we were tempted with, yet he who knew no sin, as Second Corinthians talks about, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, took on our sin, placed that on the cross, knowing the love of the Father, so that all that followed will have salvation that comes. One brings destruction, one brings salvation. Both commandments, one obeyed, one did not. Both in the garden, saying, I know, from the very beginning, I know you're going to need a redeemer to save you. The serpent used a tree to put the lie in. Jesus used a tree to take the lie out. So the serpent used a tree, being the tree of knowledge of good and evil, to bring lie in. But Jesus used the tree that was upon his, his back, the cross, to take the lie out. So that we have life and life abundantly. If you want to go a step further, in Genesis 3, the curse upon the world was that um, we go, I think, in two, yeah, two slides. It's, it says Genesis 3, 18. Thorns and thistles shall be brought forth for you upon the land. So thorns and thistles upon the land, okay? Because of sin entering the world, we now have thorns and thistles, okay? But what was placed on Jesus' head? Thorns and thistles, a crown of thorns. So what it's saying here is this is the fullness of the story. <laughs> this is the fullness of the story, the curse that was brought upon by man. The curse that was brought upon the earth by man is now redeemed and it is finished by Jesus. So that we no longer have to strive and have to try harder and do all these good things and sacrifice, but we can just surrender and say, I can't do it alone. I can't. <laughs> I have nothing to offer but I need a redeemer. I need a savior. And praise God that he sent one. Praise God that he sent one. Romans 5, to back that up with scripture, Romans 5, 17 through 19 says this, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned um, through that one man, how, or much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, okay, so Genesis, so one act of righteousness leads to justification, salvation, for all men, and life for all men. For uh, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Guys, how beautiful that is. That is amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? 
amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me, would cover me in your righteousness, would stamp me as accepted, stamp me as loved, even in my brokenness, that even while I was still sinner, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Not when I was dressed really pretty and dressed all nice and inside my inward reality was nice as well. No, while we were still sinners, while I was in my deepest, darkest moment, while I was there on the floor weeping, but surrendered. (laughs) Not trying harder, surrendered. One man brought disobedience and a curse upon the world, yet one man took the curse upon him and redeemed it. So now we have a life and life abundant, and that is the good news of the gospel. That is the solution, that Jesus knew the love of his Father so much that he knew that temptation of the world wasn't even, like, worth it to him. So when Satan tempted him, he was like, no, I know my Father's love for me. I actually know the Father's love for the rest of the world, too, and so therefore I have to die. The commandment, I have to die so that they may have a life through me through the blood of Jesus. 2 Corinthians, I said this before, but I'll say it again. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might have become the righteousness of God. I'm going to end with this. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, this goes about the solution to sin as well. What do we do with sin? We're still waging war. We're still waging a war that is around us, being tempted by lies, biting into the apple, biting into the deception of whatever it is. So what do we do? Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. So it's saying lay aside that, okay? Lay aside the weight, lay aside the sin which so closely clings to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is brought, that is set before us, looking to Jesus. So what is the solution? Make more of Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter. It says the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne. So God, God knew that we would walk in sin, yet he knew that he, he knew we needed a redeemer, and he sent his one and only son because he loved the world so that we may have eternal life. So what do we do as we look to Jesus, our author and perfecter, our founder and perfecter of faith? We lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us, as this said, Galatians 2 says, stop walking in the slavery of sin. You are free. Stop walking in it. And so often we go back to the shame, and yet Pete Hatton said this in The Gathering 2, condemnation is from the enemy, yet conviction is from the Holy Spirit. So our conviction is a good thing, yet condemnation comes from the enemy because we have been stamped and redeemed and covered by the grace of God alone. Spider-Man three. I wasn't going to say this, but now all of y'all's eyes are on me. (laughs) Spider-Man, I think it's three. If y'all know the black goo, do y'all know, is that the third one? I think it is. The black goo that starts so little, okay, but it's creeping around him. It's creeping around the world. It's this little black goo creeps around, and then finally it attacks Spider-Man, 
and he literally places on a different identity. He, there's a scene where he opens the trunk and he says, should I pick up my like original uniform or super suit <laughs> or should I pick up the black one? Because it's, and it literally changes personality. One, he was good and he would save people. Two, this like destruction and he ended up punching someone and like all this evil that wasn't Spider-Man happened. But guys, it didn't start in just this like, this big goo, it started from just a little root of something like a little bite of something that then led to this like identity being in that. So it started with just a little goo, (laughs) a little black dot, and it grew and grew over time as he continued to let it grow. He continued to dwell on it. He continued to be like, man, this is fun. This is kind of fun to have a different alternative ego or whatever. And he grew on that and and it kept going to the point where it overcame him and the only scene at the very end the only scene that like overcame him was he had to decide, I'm done with this identity. I'm done with this. So he goes to a church. I kind of think it's ironic. And a bell hits it. And when the bell hits it, it cannot hear it. Like it cannot stand the, so- the, the sight of it or the sound of it. So he rips it off of him. But it has to attack something else. Meaning evil has to attack something. We're, we're raging a war in, in, like around us. Yet the sound of like a church bell, so I'm going to bring it back to scripture, the sound of God's word and truth is the only, is this like what Satan actually hates. Satan hates this. So when we talk about his word, when we talk about Jesus and the grace, he can't stand it. So lay aside the alter ego, lay aside the uniform, take it off, say I'm done with this alter ego, I'm done with my identity being placed in this black suit, lay it aside and look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith and run in the freedom of it. Don't let it, don't let it cling to you. But identify that as a lie. Of what am I, like what sin am I letting dwell in me? Pete said this in church this morning as well. If you were there in the 930, it's a broken, sin is a broken relationship with God. Like it is a breaking of not just a commandment, but a relationship that leads to the commandment. So it's the breaking and tearing of a relationship with God that leads to, man, if I don't know God loves me, I'm, I'm going to walk in, like, that, that leads to sin. Because if I'm so filled with God's word, if I'm so filled with the love of the Father, I can't help but just lay down and worship, or sit and worship, or stand and worship, or dance and worship, whatever it is. Because I know that my identity comes from him and by the grace that he has given me, not by the sin that entangles me. So throw it off and walk in the freedom that God has for you. I'm going to pray, and then we will let you go. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. God, I pray that we would know the love of the Father even more that surpasses knowledge, that we would know it, that we would claim identity in that and not things of this world, that we would no longer walk in the identity of sin or the identity of other people, but we would be so rooted and grounded in what you have to say about us, that we are clothed with your righteousness. And so, Lord, help us to throw aside the sin and to walk in the freedom and the grace that you have extended. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you took upon the curse. You took upon the thorns and the thistles. You obeyed the commandment that brought death upon you, yet life to all of that followed. God, thank you for that. And would that just not, not just be words that we say, but that would be 
a heart meditation and a heart transformation that would transform the way we see everything. Would we know the love of the Father, that you are good, and that you are not withholding anything that is good from us, but you are the giver of good gifts. So Lord, help us to know that. Help us to walk in that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.